Karthik and Fan Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nitin. What's good, Nitin? It's my favorite time of the year. It's your favorite time of the year. It's the only time that matters uh, for Wizards and Kings fans and, and the like. We are back to the NBA draft, free agency. You know, I don't even remember who won the title, frankly. Me I don't know that you could. You could. Yeah, I'm not sure we know. Um, I don't think it matters, frankly. I think what matters is what happens at number four and number 10 tomorrow. Or Thursday, I should say. Sorry. I, I think we're uh, past the 24-hour window of the parade, right? So I'm not going to see any more IG stories. I'm not going to see any more articles about it. We're fully into draft season, and I could not be happier. All that matters now is Woj, Shams, and the news they're going to be dropping in the next couple of days. Because as you remember, the night before the draft, I think, and then the day of the draft gets crazy even before the draft starts. Or crazy and there are some things that end up happening. So, I will say before we get into the draft and the offseason, I don't know what it is I expected uh, in terms of the Steph coverage and the Warriors love, but it was ten times worse than I what I was what I was like kind of bracing myself for. First take, you know, undisputed Sports Center, like literally every person on Twitter, podcasts, like I. It's too much for me. I just can't do it. I don't think I was prepared for that. Now I'm back to wishing the Celtics had won. I think. What did I tell you? I told you this from the beginning that this was going to happen. And here are the Warriors. You'd think that this dynasty, the guys who've been there before, would act like it. But they're picking Twitter battles with John Morant and talk, you know, Clay's bringing up the strength in numbers tweet. Like these guys need to just calm down, act like you've been there. And all this noise needs to just stop. I'm tired of it. Draymond, apparently the cursing was only when directed at him is a problem. But when he's just throwing out every word in the book to whoever's listening, it's suddenly not an issue for the kids. Exactly. Exactly. But we've got an action-packed agenda for today, and we've got a special guest joining us. You know, because we're covering the draft, and me and you, Nathan, we're Wizards and Kings fans, we're experts in this. We thought we'd bring on another draft expert, fellow Kings fan, friend of the pod, Mohit Basadeva. What's, What's good, Mo? guys? Hey, man. Thanks again for having me on. It's been 18 months <laughs> since you guys last invited me onto the onto the pod. Since then, all of my NBA top shots are worth $0, <laughs> and the crypto market has exploded. So it's probably the perfect time to be on, but um, I'm more excited to talk about the NBA draft since this is my favorite time of the year, considering I am a Kings fan, and this is 16 years running being in the lottery. So excited to talk shop, excited to be here. I was going to say, based on the topics last time and what happened to, to, to all of those NFTs, you were hyped, crypto, Top Shot. I can't wait to see who which prospect you apply that Midas touch to today. <laughs> oh, man. Whoever it's going to be, they, they might not have a warm future in the NBA. <laughs> yeah. They might end up like a Marvin Bagley or Anthony Bennett, if that's the case. <laughs> Whose Top Shot did you buy? Was it Tyrese? De'Aaron? No, Fox. Aaron Fox, he's still a king. I think if I had bought Tyrese's, it would actually be <laughs> worth uh, negative dollars since we've already traded him. So, I think it was Fox hitting a layup against the Pistons in like January. <laughs> it was. I, I remember that moment. the lead to like twenty-two, <laughs> and I never got. I never made it past the wait list for any of the uh, the packs. So hopefully, maybe maybe that that wave has now died down, and I can get to the number one place. I remember my boys here would be like setting alarms to get in line and stuff, and they would do it right at the time, like they were checking in for Southwest, and it would be like you're number twelve thousand five hundred in line. I'm like, is that good? 
and they're like, oh yeah, yeah this is going to be great. Can't wait. <laughs> Oh, what a, what a crazy era we lived in during the pandemic. But hey, guys, I'm excited to be here, though. Like, Yeah. So I think before we get into the draft, there's a lot of rumors flying around with the current players. Uh, no bigger than what's happening in Brooklyn with Kyrie Irving. I don't think any situation has devolved quite as fast and unceremoniously as uh, the Nets roster from 2019. If you remember when they made that big splash signing KD and Kyrie. KD was already slated to miss that first year, so they were going to punt on year one of the experience. Everything else has been just a disaster of epic proportions. Kyrie's only played 103 uh, games total in the regular season, so basically averaging less than 35 out of 82 games for the three seasons he's been in the Nets uniform. He's missed playoff games last year. He missed the bubble first year. So now all of a sudden, of course, the Nets are not trying to give him this five-year supermax that he's uh, technically eligible for based on years of service. There's starting to be some whispers. You know, they're at an impasse, quote-unquote, according to Shams. Karthik, do you see him playing in a uniform that's not the Nets next year? And if so, who is most likely going to going to be the team that says, okay, we'll take a chance on him? 10% chance. I think it's highly unlikely. I think this is posturing. Look, this is this is the time where, of course, he's going to be angling for that that max. And what? How are you going to get it? You know, Kyrie's reputation, Kyrie's history so far with the Nets is not going to get him that max. And so the only way he can play this, and his agent can play this, is to posture and say that you know they're ready to look somewhere else or move somewhere else. Um, and I think the Nets are going to end up realizing that they're going to have to pay him. I think they're going to end up paying him. And it's not the worst thing in the world. I think ultimately the alternatives are possibly the Lakers, which I don't think from a salary standpoint, you know, and and the pieces you can make it happen. It's not going to happen. Uh, I think the Knicks might be an interesting one. They can put together a package and it Kyrie would be happy with that. New York would be happy with that. They need a star. But I ultimately don't see Brooklyn wanting to ship him right next door, especially when they've been trying to establish themselves as the other franchise in New York, and they've been struggling to do that the last couple of years. I don't see them making that deal either. So to me, I think this is going to go on for a bit, but ultimately they're going to sign him. They're going to give him, pay him the max money and then figure it all out from there. Because the last thing you want to do is alienate Durant as well. And so I think that's a big part of this equation. They, they can't, if you're going to move him, you need a really good package coming back. And I just don't see what that is. But Mo, what do you think? Look, I might actually put the percentage higher than that. I would say maybe 25%. Uh, just given the player empowerment era that we live in, these guys love to do this. They love to push their ways out of cities easy. And Kyrie is already kind of at that like edge with the Nets. Um, you know, you've seen this before already with Harden. Like and I, and I don't blame the Nets for actually hesitating to want to give out five years, two hundred fifty million dollars to a guy who barely plays basketball for them. So I do think that there is a small chance. Now, like you said, the list is small. What can he actually? What can you actually fetch in return? The packages aren't going to look good. Like there's no top ten, top fifteen, not even top twenty NBA player you might get out of this. So. Will the Nets, I, I, like, I, I think the Nets should just end up paying the guy, let him come back, but because there might not be a package, but I think there is a, I think there is a legit shot. We could see Kyrie Irving by July 15th on a new team. I'm putting it at zero because yeah. ultimately 
here's what you guys are missing. The Nets have all the leverage. Kyrie Irving, as great as he is, has a pretty damaged reputation around the league. Not to mention, given how difficult and, and mercurial it is, 25 out of 30 teams are not even looking at this as a situation where they would be selected by Kyrie, right? Like, he's not going to play for Memphis. He's not going to play in Minnesota. You know, even teams like San Antonio, Oklahoma City, Detroit, that are under the cap, they're not signing him, right? So assuming none of the teams with cap space are going to be able to sign him, it's all about which teams uh, would have to execute a sign-and-trade. Now, the thing with the, the the Lakers and the Clippers specifically is they're in the luxury tax, right? So if they execute a sign-and-trade for Kyrie, they're going to get hard-capped, which means they have to then drop salary in other ways that it's going to be super difficult. only way the trade makes sense is if he opts into his deal and then they ship him. But why would he do that? Because he would rather start at the you know, $45, $50 million price point versus the 36 that he's going to make um, you know, in the last year of this deal. People are talking about him like opting out and signing a mid-level exception with teams just to that's not going to happen. He's not going to give up that kind of money. I mean, this is a dude who frankly he did give up half of his salary this year, right, by not choosing to play in a home or you know, getting vaccinated so he couldn't play in home games for a long time, but um ultimately I think the Nets are going to bring him back on a 2 plus 1 kind of deal incentive-laden. A lot of people have talked about the Chris Paul contract that he got from Phoenix last year where it was like a four- or five-year deal, but it was heavily based on games played, minutes played, and those back into that contract. I see that happening. Or Kyrie just opting in and saying, let's play it out. I'll rebuild my value, and we'll go from there. The one thing, as we all know, and where the Nets, he does kind of have the Nets by the balls a little bit is they have no way to replace him if he walks. Or if they take some shitty sign-and-trade package that's not going to make them better like uh, – you know, Lakers fans are obviously like, well, what about Russ, THT, and two first? Like, that's not going to help KD. The reality is when Ky- Kyrie's played in a Brooklyn uniform, when he's actually been on the court, he's been insane. Uh, 27, seven, 6, and 5. He's shooting 49, 41, 92 shooting splits. He just doesn't play that often. So it's like if you could figure out a way to convince him to actually be on the court, their best court recourse, and actually for him as well, is just to stay put. That's what they're not replacing his production. So yeah, you just said the Nets had all the leverage, but at the same time, the Nets know that they're not going to let him walk. Um, yeah, trade but where's he, who's he, who are they going to do business with to give them? Like they're not going to hook the Knicks up, like you said. They're not going to hook the Lakers up and get LeBron like his running mate back. I mean, the only trade that I think actually makes sense basketball wise from both sides is the Clippers. Because they have like six guys really from these like ten to twenty million dollar uh, price ranges that are all productive, will all add depth, and you know, big if, but if Ben Simmons comes back to being any version of his old self, you have enough around KD to make a run. Besides that, I don't. I mean, why would they hook up these random teams for no reason? Yeah, they wouldn't. But I think the the issue is they. Didn't play Simmons last year. They have no idea what they have in Simmons. So we're assuming he can get back to his all-NBA stature. But if he can't, you're, what, settled with Durant and then a bunch of average, you know, role players from the Clippers? Like, that's not a path either. Like, I don't think there is any scenario, conceivable scenario outside of New York that Durant would be happy with, that the Nets would be happy with. So at this point, they're going to sign it. It's a matter of what number. Right? Are they going to give him the five-year 250? Are they going to give him a shorter deal? How many incentives? But I, I still think, Ky- like you know, like Mo said, the player empowerment era. I think Kyrie can kind of 
finagle his way to a deal that's more friendly for him. I don't think the Nets can play that big of a hardball game with his contract. Um, yeah. And it sucks, but like you look, even the Clippers, right? When they have to make a decision on Kawhi and Paul George after they flamed out early, the only, at this point, once you go in on those two guys, you got to pay them whatever it is. And, and that's, and commit your future to them. And I think the Nets will do that. And ultimately they'll look at how well Kyrie's played, how well Durant has played the last couple of years and hope that they can make some moves on the fringes and become a contender again. Yeah. Well, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think one thing to kind of like point out and, you know, as much as you think like Kyrie might not have those options if he was to opt out, there are possibilities for free agent for a free agency for Kyrie. Uh, I think one thing to note is the Thunder are heavy on cap space and can absorb some of these contracts for people. So if you're thinking about it, the Knicks could easily kind of like pawn off a Fournier, a uh, Julius Randle over to the OKC, um, you know, maybe attach a couple first round picks and then open up that cap space. Is that going to happen? I would I put that at one to two percent chance i think most likely if anything's happening here it's gonna be a sign and trade but you just never know with these players you just never know can you imagine the knicks because obviously they have to do that now pre-draft pre-free agency right to clear the space because otherwise the thunder cap space is going to reset sga's contract's going to kick in can you imagine if they do that based on like a handshake deal from Kyrie of all people maybe the least like reliable player in the nba and suddenly he's like yeah you know what i'm actually just gonna stay with the nets and they just give up two first just to move randall <laughs> and have this shit team that starts three of us that would oh, be insane. that would be hilarious i dude, this is why i don't think that any team including the knicks who you know Kyrie, i'm sure has had some conversations with can take that risk if it was like a guy like a durant or like a lebron or someone well bad example but um Anyone sort of just more reliable and trustworthy, I think you could pull that off, but it would be tough sledding to to sort of make that move preemptively uh, for Kyrie. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I hate that this is detracting away from what I want to talk about, the draft. All right, let's get into the draft. But, but yeah, I, it'll be interesting. I, I think ultimately, well, let me go back to the Kyrie thing with the Lakers, though. Do you think, right, because there's a lot of talk about this, Russ, AD, for Kyrie and Simmons, completely switching it up. Is there any world in which you think, like, who says no to that? It has to be the Lakers, right? Lakers say no. Um, AD is uh, the best player of the four. He is, uh, if you look at it, they've both been the second best player to a LeBron title. But I think if you look at AD start to finish in that playoffs and overall the course of his career, he's been probably better, more reliable than Kyrie, which is crazy to say because he's also someone who doesn't love to see the court. Um, Russ is the worst of those four players, assuming we get a normal version of Simmons. But this is the four weirdest players, actually, that are all superstars to somehow be involved in a trade. The only way you could make it weirder is if Harden was somehow in this mix, um, which he was, by the way, you know, four months ago. So I think the Lakers say no, but, you know, they have so much vitriol for Russ after one season. Who knows? Like, they might do anything to get rid of him. That's true, but you can't forget Darvin Ham uh, talking, waxing poetic about Russ at his press conference, right? They're ready to they're ready to run it back with them. Well, let me ask you this. This is another tangent that I just thought of. 
Mo, if Kevin, so a lot of people have been putting Steph Curry ahead of Durant, which I would as well. I said that on last week's podcast all time. This was probably the first time it was a pretty much definitive, like, you know, Steph is better than KD historically. If KD takes this ragtag shit show of a team to the championship and wins next year, assuming he wins finals MVP, you got to think he would. Does that vault him back over Steph? Um, and how far, how far would he get? Would he go over Kobe in that situation? Oh man. And this, this is a team with Kyrie Irving on it. So let's assume, yeah, let's assume they just don't do anything. And it's like Kyrie, Joe Harris, Ben Simmons, and maybe they, you know, fringe pieces here and there, but for the most part, it's this roster. Yeah. I think if, if KD was to lead this roster to a, to a championship, I would have to put them neck to neck. Look, I look, I've, I've kind of had my at peace moment with Steph. I've never been a Steph fan. Uh, obviously, uh, being growing up in the Bay, grow, living in the Bay, growing up not a Warriors fan, it's been tough to watch this guy succeed. But I've kind of, it's, it's kind of like the Kobe effect. I've kind of got to the point where like, I, I have utmost respect for Steph. And I think he's right there. He's borderline like top 10. He's number 11. K, if KD was the lead this squad, He'd be right there at number 12, but I think Steph has like cemented the greatest oh, when it comes wow. to being a point guard other than magic, man. And I think honestly, at the end of the career, like we might be looking at like apples and oranges when it comes to magic and Curry being like the two best point guards, just different types of point guards out there. Um, KD has still like a lot to like catch up when it comes to like being the most elite wing player, like a Kobe, a Michael, um, like, you know, he still has a little bit of little bit of ways to go. So I would put him, I'd probably put him 12, but it would definitely be a statement though. If he was to be bring this team from the dead uh, to a championship. What's your thoughts, Karthik? I think, uh, yeah, I wouldn't put him over Curry just yet. Um, he'd be well, next. Three finals MVPs. What more do you want the man to do? Because just like we taint those for Curry, those two championships, we taint it for Durant still. It doesn't change anything. And, you still look at the totality of Durant's career. He's got the scoring titles. He's got the MVP. He's got the All NBAs. But I mean, what has he done more than Sounds Curry? Like a pretty good damn. But damn what has he done career. more than Curry? You're talking about two Finals MVPs that he has over those over Curry. Well, but- that is literally that is the great equalizer because Curry picked up a title early. Nobody cares about that. Kyrie and Love are out. <laughs> then they would have one Finals MVP apiece by themselves, which is very very critical. And then the two times they played together and won. One guy got the hardware. The other guy, you know, rode his coattails. So it would be close. I would want to see what kind of playoff run KD has. Like if he goes on a, like let's say he goes on a LeBron 2018 style, like 30 something plus points per game throughout the playoffs, runs through the East, wins the finals. Um, at that point, maybe. But I, I think just winning a title is not going to put him over Curry in my my guess is if this shit show of a team wins the title, he's going to be playing like 48 minutes a game for well, four that's rounds. The thing, yeah. yeah. I mean, if he, if he does what he did in 2021 against Milwaukee, if he's putting up that kind of a performance and they win the title, yeah, that's, that's going to be hard to argue against. So before we get to the draft, I guess we were talking Kyrie. What other names are you thinking are going to move? Um, before before Thursday's draft or on draft night? Because I think there's a lot of movement to come with free agency, obviously, and then you can execute different kinds of trades that you can right now. What names are you like, okay, these guys are definitely on the move that that, that matter, that might might have some consequence? I already know what mo- uh, move Mo and I are most interested in. 
or what player, and that's John Collins. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think obviously as Kings fans, there's been talk about John Collins, potentially the Kings trading for him with some kind of Harrison Barnes built package with either a first round pick, you know, the next year. I hope it's not the four pick this year. Um, but I think a lot of teams, like I think Atlanta's shopping him pretty widely. And Collins is an interesting player because they did extend him uh, last year, the year before. Um, he's been a pivotal player for those Atlanta teams, but at the same time, last year he missed a chunk of time. Um, they didn't do so well, and he has his limitations both defensively and you know just with that team. I think they needed to to kind of go in a different direction. But on paper, he's a guy who can shoot the ball, he can rim run, play the pick and roll. He offers good weak side rim protection, and so I think that is really. And he's locked up. His contract is going to be for the next three years, four years. Because of that, he's a very attractive asset. And I think a lot of teams are going to go after him. Um, but Mo, is that is that someone you want for the Kings? Because that's someone I want for the Kings. Yeah, so John Collins is definitely a name up there for the Kings. Uh, his contract is big. So he was a restricted free agent last year, signed a guaranteed $125 million five-year deal. So $25 million a year for a guy like John Collins kind of scares me. Um, he's 24 still. So, I mean, he's still a young player. He fits the Kings timeline matching up directly with, you know, Darren Fox, uh, Sabonis, but that contracts on the heftier side for a guy who was pretty underperforming last year, uh, and didn't really do much with Trey in the first round of the playoffs. So I'm a little hesitant on him. There's a lot of other names though, being thrown out there, uh, names that kind of excite me, not for Kings targets, but just being, being moved. Um, on draft night uh, from draft teams are names like Jeremy Grant um, from the Pistons, Malcolm Brogdon from the Pacers. Uh, rumors today that Gordon Hayward's available uh, with the 13th and 15th pick by the Hornets. Uh, Kuzma from the Wizards. So there's some exciting names out there, um, you know, veteran names. None of them are going to, you know, maybe move the needle right away, but could be lasting impacts as veterans. Um, I would stay away from Gordon Hayward. I don't know. His contract's not great. Um, his stats aren't great, and he's just very much in the tail end of his career. Uh, but when I think about a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, uh, injury prone, has had a few, has had a, a lot of injuries the last year, but still decently young, uh, smart player. Again, uh, came from Milwaukee, had a few good successful years with Indiana plays a role of a two um, that could be of need for the Kings or other teams as well, too. I think he's a great name that could be had pretty easily here at the trade deadline or not trade. Sorry. NBA draft. <laughs> yeah. So John Collins is a player I've long lusted after. I just think his athleticism, his shooting is versus He's the kind of guy that I like. I fall, you know, prey to frankly, in terms of just like the prospect that I always fall in love with. But he also has a little just like Antonio McDyess in him where he's like kind of productive, makes a ton of money, but doesn't really move the needle on any sort of winning situation. That being said, you know, I think the timeline is valid. He's still very young. Would you guys do this as Kings fans? I just thought about this trade as you were talking. John Collins, Kevin Herter, and number 16 for number four, Harrison Barnes and Rashawn Holmes. <laughs> I don't think so. I'll, I'll chime in first. Absolutely no. Because <laughs> Hunter needs to be upgraded like that. They, they're not going to give you DeAndre Hunter, presumably. But does that the would he move the needle? I would do that trade with a future first round pick. I would not do that trade with the number four pick. I think in that trade, the number four pick 
is way more valuable than, in my opinion, John Collins in this $125 million contract. I think Harrison Barnes is on an expiring deal, uh, $18 million. It's still like a serviceable contract where it's like, yeah, and then you're getting off of homes. I, it just doesn't entice me as much when you're throwing in the number four pick. Like the number four pick alone, like I well, think Atlanta probably wouldn't do that without that pick. So maybe there's no deal to be had because they're not going to do it for a future first and then make the roster worse this year, too, because they got to they got to try. They're trying to win, too, because they're like, wait a second. We went to the conference finals. Why did we get boat raced by Miami in round one? But I think Harrison Barnes does a lot of things that Collins does not in terms of a win. Now, he can play better on ball defense. He can he's a better shooter. I mean, at least. He shot 40% from three last year. Um, he's a better shot creator. Like He's not a pick-and-roll player, but at the same time, when possessions are kind of dying on the vine, he can post up. He can do a couple things by himself, whereas Collins has to kind of play off the pick-and-roll and, and kind of a, you know needs to be assisted. So I, I think that you know Barnes fits what Atlanta wants to do, and they want to compete now. So in that sense, I think he's more valuable than maybe people give him credit for. And like you get off the longer term Collins contract. So to me, I think we can still do a package around Barnes and a first round pick that's not this year. Why wouldn't they want to go for that? After you told us last week that Barnes was the same as our national hero, Andrew Wiggins, you can't be trusted for Harrison Barnes takes right now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even if you think he's somewhat equivalent to John Collins, which I think Collins is probably a little bit better. I don't think Barnes sucks by any means. They would then also give up Herder and a pick to take back Holmes when they already have uh, a Kongwu and Capella. They no, no, I'm saying just home. do Barnes and a future first rounder for, for you can even t- top ten protected, whatever for Collins. Yeah, Mo, you mentioned uh, Malcolm Brogdon. That's obviously a name top of mind for Wizards uh, fans because we're very terrified that uh, Tommy Shepard is going to send out number 10 uh, for Brogdon. I like Brogdon as a theoretical player. The problem is he is a theoretical player. He does not play basketball either. His last you know, three seasons, he's played 54 games, 56 games, 36 games. He also has another 48-gamer in his career. So he really has only played over 70 games one time. Um, He's always dealing with foot and knee issues and just like he's on a reasonable contract. But I feel like with him and with Porzingis, like who's going to play for the team, right? Like if you're going to give up number 10 and you'd probably have to give up Kuzma and maybe one other prospect just to like make the salaries even match. You want a guy who you can actually expect to be out there. Um, I think Brogdon will fit nicely somewhere if he can stay healthy, but I would put him in the Gordon Hayward camp where it's like these dudes wouldn't be bad, but they're just always fucking hurt. And at some point it's like, okay, this is clearly not just like bad luck year to year. Um, Clearly there's something else going on with the way their body is constructed or the way they're training or something. But like Hayward, for example, he's making $30 million a year. And you would pay – Certain teams, I would say, would pay Hayward $30 million a year if there's some way to guarantee 75 games played. But when it's 45 games every year, then what are you going to do? You're just sitting there with, like, a huge hole on your bench. And then yeah. that's the risk, right? Yeah, go ahead, Bob. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree there. I think Brogdon's a great player, like, great two-way basketball player. But when you think about it, like, Indy's been shopping this – or has started to shop this guy because he can't stay healthy. And 
at that point, when player when teams are shopping these like experienced veterans and they're trying to like hype up their back, like, oh, great player, trade a first round pick for him. Like it's 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 mind blowing to me in certain ways. I think Jeremy Grant might be a little bit of the exception where I'm like, okay, he might be worth a little uh, worth the first rounder because he has talent. He's on a decent contract. And but like players like Brogdon and Hayward, like these guys can't stay healthy. Um, they're kind of like tail I, I, Brogdon, maybe not on the tail end of his career, but Gordon Hayward for sure on his tail end of his career. And these guys are just being shopped around for like the possibility of a first rounder. No way. Um, I think Hayward needs to be a contract that that you know the Hornets want to get off eight like badly. And you know Brogdon's one of those. I'll throw in Brogdon if I can move up in the draft somewhere. But I can't see Brogdon pulling a, a first rounder by himself. He shouldn't. At least not a lottery pick. Definitely not. Do you think Hayward, though, there's been some rumblings about, I mean, I don't know if it's actual rumblings, but maybe Laker fans just saying it. Westbrook, Hayward, kind of a swap because Charlotte's been tied to Westbrook. There's actual interest there uh, that's been reported. You can get off the Hayward contract. Maybe they talk to themselves into Westbrook being a more productive player for them. And the Lakers, of course, you get off Westbrook. Maybe you have to throw in a pick. But you get Gordon Hayward, who, yes, he may be injured, but he's a guy who slots in nicely with that team at the wing spot. Is that yeah. something you you see can happen? To me, I was I was originally like, why the hell would Charlotte bail out the Lakers like that and give them a productive player next to to LeBron for, for dealing with Russ? But then you look at it and you're like, well, Charlotte's willing to attach one or two firsts just to get off this contract. Why don't they just take Russ back, not give up a first, and send him home and buy him out like who cares like you would rather do that than give up a pick for no reason right so comes off your books next year versus Hayward has two years more honestly like at first I was thinking the Lakers would give up assets but realistically it would probably be an even trade in fact Charlotte has to kick in salary so you're really looking at it like a Rozier and uh, Hayward for maybe Russ and a pick potentially because that gives uh, the Lakers two solid starters and then I would consider that because you know, Michael Jordan is one of the stingiest owners we have in basketball for whatever reason. So he's not trying to pay all these dudes. He's got Miles Bridges coming up this summer. He's got LaMelo coming up extension eligible next year. So he's looking at it like, let's bring in a Jordan brand guy. He's going to sell some tickets because it's such short term thinking there. I actually think at first I was like, this is crazy. Like the Hornets should never do this deal. Now I'm like, why wouldn't they versus trying to give up a future asset cost controlled for no reason? Don't forget Mitch Kupchak, you know, maybe he's trying to do his Laker buddies uh solid. Hey, we've seen that before, right? McKevin McHale casually gift wrapping uh Kevin Garnett to Boston in 2008. And we saw Jerry West gift wrapping uh Paul Gasol, right? To the yeah. Lakers. So, uh you're but you're Unfortunately, right. Unfortunately, no former Wizards players are tight GMs <laughs> anywhere. Uh yeah. So I I don't know what's going to happen with with the Hayward. I think that's an interesting one, though, because teams can talk themselves into the best version of Gordon Hayward. When he was healthy recently on the Hornets, he started playing well again. I think, you know, he was a complete shell of himself for most of his Boston tenure. But this is a guy who's a productive wing, who does everything. Like, on paper, Gordon Hayward is a player that could fit in any situation. But, like, to Mo's point... It's a significant risk that if it's a win-now guy and then he misses half a season right off the bat, yep. can you take that risk? Or are you willing to pay for that risk? 
Yeah, look, this is a this is a August trade at the end of free agency. No Lakers made no moves. Yep. Hornets are sitting there dead, and they make this uh, you know trade to keep us entertained in the month of August. We're still in the month of June. We're in draft season. I don't think it's happening on draft day, but I think there will be a lot of player movement on draft day. So let's get to, let's get to draft day already. We got a um, so it's it's in two days. It's on Thursday. As of now, there has not been any, unless I haven't refreshed my Twitter page in the last hour. Let me, let me recap. the new Mike Brown quote that just came out. <laughs> oh, dude, that press conference was... Wait, I'll talk about his press conference <laughs> later when we talk about the Kings. But I think this was the best press conference I've ever seen in any sports context ever. Like, just... He said all the right things. Um answered all the questions the right way, talked about the Warriors, talked about his plan for the Kings, talked about how he's talked to all the players and the coaches and the culture he wants to instill, was making jokes, was talking about how much fun he had the championship parade. I've never seen a guy more relatable than that. I'm convinced we're going to make the playoffs in the next three years. But that's... He's been hardened by championship pedigree from L.A., from Cleveland even a little bit, and now from... uh from Golden State most recently. He's what, three-time champ, four-time champ at this four point? Time. He won with the the Spurs, too. Oh, that's right. He was on the Spurs bench in like 05, right, before he got the um, – sorry, yeah, 05, before he got the the, the Cleveland job. Some, somewhere around then. And then he won two with the Warriors, 2017, 2018, and then he won this one, the third Got one. it, got it. Okay. Um, but anyways, let's, let's start with the draft. Let's start with the top three. And just to recap, right, I think – Summarizing all the buzz that's been happening the last couple of weeks, most mock drafts, most people have the top three locked as some combo of Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, and Paolo Bancaro. And most people think it's going to be Jabari, Chet, Paolo in that order. So maybe let's start with those three guys because those are seen as the, the, if anything, the top three potential multi-time all-star players in this draft. And I want to get your guys' read on each of them, where you think their strengths, weaknesses are, what you think their ceiling is, um, and where you think they're going to go in that top three, or if they may slip, because there are rumblings too that, you know, with all the hype around Jade and Ivy, they may slip. So let's start with Jabari Smith. Um, and we'll go to you, Nathan. What, what's your read on Jabari Smith? Does he go number one? What's his ceiling? What's your take? So the way I would rank these three, I'll just start there, is I'd actually put Smith third. I would put Paolo number one, Chet number two, and Smith number three. Now, I think Smith has the most day one ready skill, which is perimeter shooting. I think he shot 43% from deep from Auburn. And you watch that Auburn team, you're almost like, how the hell did they get a two seed? Because their guard play was terrible. Um, a lot of times it was like him kind of bailing him out. He, he was awesome until the tournament. And then I think what worried you is if you remember that Miami game, that two, seven matchup or two ten matchup, actually that they lost Miami's got a lot of NBA like athletes and it gave him a lot of problems. And that's where I worry about, uh, about, um, Jabari where it's like, he can shoot from the outside. He's a pretty decent athlete, but he doesn't have great lateral quickness. He's not a great ball handler at this stage of his career, not really a playmaker. So is he going to turn into like this really good version of Ryan Anderson, right? Where it's like you park him in the corner 
on defense. You're not necessarily hiding him quite that egregiously, but like he's not necessarily anchoring your D. For a number one pick, I need something more than just one really, really elite skill. Um, and I think, or at least projection for it to be. And I think he's got probably the safest floor in a lot of ways, um, just because I think he can do stuff well. But Orlando needs infusion of talent. They need stars. And I don't know that I would start with Jabari as the answer. It sounds like they've kind of zeroed in on him. But that, to me, is kind of where I'm a little hesitant of, of sort of crowning him the best player in this class. Yeah, and I think that's a great po- – I think those are great points. To me, I think it's pretty clear that he is the number one pick. I think you highlighted some great like great thoughts on you know him getting locked up on defense by other teams. But one thing to note is like this guy's size and swing is perfect. For the NBA, like he is the prototypical for these days, the way he can move without the ball, the way he can move with the ball. um, He is like designed to play this role of like not only just point forward, but I think he can also even, you know, like you said, hit the corners, hit the corner threes, um, post up. He has every skill set. Now, do I imagine Jabari ever being a number one on a team? That's the hard question. And I don't think so. I think he's a prototypical like swing four, but he's going to need to be surrounded by talent um, for him to really excel. So, but with that said, when you look at the other prospects, there's a lot more question marks. And that's where I kind of see Jabari still being the best option at the number one pick. It's not often that the number one pick, you could argue, doesn't even have a top three ceiling in the draft. Because usually the number one pick is a combination of performance and ceiling. Jabari Smith, I think, Nitin, you nailed it on the head when you said because his he can't really shot create, he can't play make, he can shoot. But when you when that's your one elite skill and you know you're a four, you're not a five because you're not providing any rim protection, you're not providing a post game. Those players, what is the last elite four we've seen in the last five years? The days of, you know, and you even talk about guys like Blake Griffin, who you could argue is an elite four. He playmakes. He can kind of score. He's a shot creator. The guys that are jumbo-sized Ryan Andersons don't do that well. That being said, the ex- like to most point too, like the expected value of his career is still the best out of all these players. Because his floor is so high, like there's so little chance of him busting, and he's still going to be a high-level player, just the second or third option that warrants him at number one. Not the highest ceiling, but it really depends on what Orlando's risk tolerance is. Because I think if they really want to get bold, Chet fits Chet fits the prototypical way they've been looking at players for the last several years. Length, these lengthy, lanky forwards who can play defense, who can kind of switch on defense as well. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they take him. But I understand Jamari Smith. I think sometimes we get too hung up on the ceiling aspect when his expected value as a player is really good. Yeah, you know, I think I'm being harsh on him within the context of the number one pick, but I think, like, you look at some of the Kevin Durant comps that have come around, that have been thrown around, that is a bold proclamation for any player, right? Like, but it's a lot to do with, like you said, Mo, just, like, his ability to make shots from pretty much all angles, corner, coming off picks, you know, being able to shoot at the top of the key. It's basically like, this guy's a shot maker, and I think we forget that year one Durant is a lot far cry from year 15 Durant as a playmaker. Like he averaged 2.4 assists his rookie year, 2.9 turnovers. So he was kind of a mess dribbling. He did not have the handle he has now. 
Uh, and he frankly still has a little bit of a loose handle. You saw it in that Boston series, right, where they were able to get to him, cause a lot of turnovers. So, you know, not to do a retrospective on that again. But I think with Jabari, he's young. He seems to be a good kid by all accounts. So there's room to grow. We are probably also guilty, Karthik, of when we think guys are the highest floor, sometimes we assume that means they have the lowest ceiling because they're the safest player. Well, but why does he have to have a low ceiling? Like, why can't he just get better like everyone else could get better? Um, so I hear you. Um, personally, if I'm Orlando, the one concern, and I know you should never draft for fit, but my one concern is like a lot of Cole Anthony, a lot of Jalen Suggs, who was very uneven. Like, is he going to struggle with the same issues that he had in college where the guard play is really uneven? Um, and is that going to like stunt his development versus a guy like Chet, for example, who can come in and be an all world defender, do a bunch of things on that end that even if he's not getting the ball in his right spots, is still impacting the game in a lot of other ways. And so that's a good segue. Let's let's go into Chet. Um, and let's start with Mo, because Chet is one of the most polarizing prospects. Polarizing in the sense of, you know, in the top three, some people think that his ceiling is, or his the risk with taking Chet is significant because of his frame, while you can also see the high ceiling, probably the highest ceiling in this entire draft class. So Mo. Where are you at with Chet? Yeah, man. Chet is an absolute unicorn. Like, But he does have a bit of concern, but the pluses, in my opinion, are all there. This guy is a beast on the defensive end. Like, not only with his shot blocking in his, in his off-ball, like, defense, he can also just – he has incredible coordination, and he can also just play well on the ball. This guy at Gonzaga was making blocks left and right. He has a capability of like sliding, like sliding, excuse me, has a capability of sliding on defense, switching on the pick and roll. Like he's just a phenomenal defender. Now, again, you can credit he was playing in the, you know, Mac West conference. It wasn't the most competitive, uh, you know, getting into the, once he got to the tournament, he was getting pushed around, but his on ball defense is amazing. Offensively, maybe not completely polished there. He did shoot 41% from three. Like he has the skill sets to be an offensive unicorn as well too. Is the bust potential there? Absolutely. And that's why he's probably get, that's probably why he's going number two, because number two has that high likelihood of being a bust um, given the Bagley's of the world, the Hashid Tabids, uh, and you know, name others out there that he has a high ceiling of bust. And it's just because of his skinny frame, like his lack of coordination. Like, is he really going to put on the weight? Is he going to get pushed around by real NBA players? I see a lot of concerns. If I was drafting, if I was drafting number one, I would definitely avoid. If I was drafting three or four, I'd 100% take this guy. Karthik, you remember when we were doing the NCAA uh, recap pods around March, April timeframe, and I was like, I don't know if I've ever been more confused watching a player than watching Chet. Yep. I think I still feel that way. Like in my head, I see the vision of him just being an absolute freak defensively. Um, the the skinny frame is less of a concern when two things. One, there's not a lot of post-up game in today's NBA. It's really like Joel. Jokic and who really posts up a ton after that right like guys like LeBron or Durant who po- or Giannis who post up Chet's not guarding those dudes anyway right they're gonna cross switch and do all those types of things um and two his anticipation defensively is so good with his wingspan it's like he can get to a ball it doesn't matter if his body is there or not he can get to the ball whether or not you know it's from like five feet away 
in a way, um, Draymond Green is elite at using his wingspan to bother shots when he's given up a ton of size. Now, Draymond, Draymond has a much bigger frame. Uh, you know, he's just a bigger dude. But one of the things that's the best quality about him, I think, is that his wingspan is so good and his timing is really, really good. Um, so just from that perspective, I think Chet could emulate that really well. And and you when you watch Gonzaga, like Drew Timmy was the number one option, right? He was the four-year senior or whatever. He was the guy getting a bunch of shots. Chet was the second or sometimes third option in the offense. I think he has more room to grow, like not just from his own development. I mean, like I think if he was given the ball more at Gonzaga, he would look more fluid offensively. Um, you know, right now, if he goes number two to OKC, I think he's going to have the time of his life playing with Giddy and SGA. They're going to really set him up nicely. That I mean, that team will still probably lose a lot of games, but I think they're going to get a lot of good experience. And to me, that's a good situation. To Mo's point about his bus pot- potential, I think OKC is a really good situation where that is limited uh, versus him going to like a Houston and pl- playing with Jalen Green, Cape, uh, you know, Kevin Porter Jr., which is a little bit more volatile. So I like him going to the Thunder. Um, I think that's a great spot for him if, if that's where it ends up. Um I'm I'm high on Chet. I, I think I've come around. I've finally been talked into it. I've come around on Chet too. I, I hated him uh, during the season. UCLA played Gonzaga, uh, and I was not that impressed because of everything you guys have already mentioned. The, you, but but I think you both also brought up the timing and coordination piece, which Draymond's a great example. Not in the the, the same archetype at all. But in that you have athletic limitations or size limitations in Draymond's uh, situation. And you are smart enough defensively to make up for that and have an impact. And I think Chet can have that impact. Like he may not be able to guard and be one-on-one down low in the post. He may get bodied. But in terms of switchability, in terms of stepping out to the perimeter, his length, all of that is going to be extremely valuable at the NBA level. And I think one thing he does great offensively is he's great off ball. Like, this guy's a great cutter as a big man because you can put him out on the perimeter. He's got a three-point shot, so you have to respect that. And he's great at cutting. And guess what? It takes him one and a half steps to get to the rim. Like, there were plays with Gonzaga where, you know, he's out on the perimeter. The defender's looking away for a split second, cuts to the basket. His length gives him the easy kind of um, range for, for any playmaker to get him the ball. And then... That is going to be really valuable at the NBA level. So the fact that he doesn't have to play a post-up game, he doesn't have to just be a spot-up shooter, um, but he can play wall off ball, I think bodes well. I think the challenge with Chet, though, is that there's going to need to be patience because he's going to have to get in the NBA weight room. He's going to take a year or two. That's why OKC is a great fit. I think Houston also should take the chance on him, but I think they're going to try to get someone more polished right now. So Paolo makes more sense. Um the question, though, is Orlando, because Orlando's been so patient for so long with a lot of their players. Do they want to get someone more polished? It looks like they do with Jabari Smith. But to me, I think they should swing for Chet, too. Like, this is the guy who could be by far the best prospect in this year's class. I think every cool. team should take a chance on him. So the fact that he's even talked about slipping to four, to me, is insane. Uh, and well, I know that won't where... happen, but that like the fact that it's even mentioned is crazy. This is where, like, being a rational actor is not always something you can count on, right, in the NBA. Like, Orlando's been bad for a really long time. 
They've had this is their fourth number one pick in their history. The other three are like the home runs of home runs. So Shaquille O'Neal, Chris Webber, which they didn't, of course, traded for Penny Hardaway, and then Dwight Howard. So they've had a chance at multiple stages of their franchise to restart everything from the number one pick. They have not had a phenomenal draft record over the last, I would say, since Dwight Howard, really. Like, you know, I think in recent years, Franz Wagner was a good pick. Um, you know, we'll see about Jill and Suggs, but they had a lot of guys who just either didn't pan out or didn't pan out to be quite as good as they hoped. Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, you know, uh, Mario Hazonia. Like, they got to get this right. And so they're going to approach it in a way that's different than, like, us three sitting there being like, who's the best player? And that's what I think is, like, fundamentally flawed, but it makes total sense because these dudes have jobs. Like, this is different than just, like, okay, Team X, and you're playing 2K. Team X picks the guy with the highest, like, A-minus rating and based on the combine results. Like, there's different factors at play. I think they're going Jabari, not because they don't like him as much as Chet. I'm sure they do, but definitely because they think he can step in day one next to next to Wendell Carter and be uh, you know, a productive player for them. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, we'll see what happens. It looks like it's going to be Jabari, Chet, Paolo. Yeah. Um, which brings us to the next most. Should we go to number four, or do we want to do the mock draft right now? Why don't we do the mock draft? Will allow us to talk number four and all of the rest of the prospects. Because, and let me ask you guys this before we get there: the way you see this draft, do you see it as a top three and then the next five or six? Do you do you see it as a three, then one, and then five? Or how do you, how do you break down the tiers of stars or potential stars here, Mo? Yeah. So I personally, I honestly personally think this is a four man draft. I might be okay. the only one, but I believe that Jaden Ivey has the star potential as, as well as these three big guys to be up there. And when you think about who's going to be like, even when the rookie of the year conversation starts uh, on day one, it's not going to be Jabari uh, out there. It's not going to be Chet. It's probably going to be Paulo. It's probably going to be Jaden Ivey as the favorites to win rookie of the year because of their star potential. Um, and because of their heavy offensive usage rate too. So I think I do, I personally do believe this is a four man draft. Do I think there's going to be a shakeup in the top three? No, I, I I'm 99% sure it's going to go Jabari, Chet, uh, Paulo, but I, but I truly believe in, in a few years from now, we can very much say that one of those top three guys was not that great. And Jaden Ivy is, you know, maybe one or two. Ivy's so an interesting process. Oh, go ahead. We didn't even talk Paolo. We totally yeah, I was gonna say Paolo. we didn't talk. We didn't talk, and he was my number one. Damn it! All right, he's so, really, so he's really my number Make one. The case. Make the case for Paolo. I'm gonna start with the negatives to let you all know that I'm thinking about him. The negatives is can a big man who's this much of a you know sieve on defense survive in today's NBA when we just watched the playoffs? the matchup hunting, the switching galore, trying to keep up with the Steph Curry's of the world. How is that going to work if Paolo Bancaro can't move his feet? I think it's a little overblown. I think he was asked to do a lot offensively, and I thought, also thought it was a weird Duke team, as most Duke teams are now. They're a collection of five, six, one and duns. Nobody knows what the hell's going on out there. Like, yes, his effort waxes and wanes, but to me, he's so special offensively. Um, and it's not just the scoring. Uh, he's a good rebounder. He's not a great outside shooter, but I think that will come because if you look at his form, you look at his free throw shooting, it's all encouraging. And the biggest thing is he's this guy averaged 3.2 assists per game last year, which is telling me that he's not a tunnel vision offensive player. 
that was with a team that had Roach, it had Mark Williams, it had A.J. Griffin. So there's a lot of mouths to feed. The ball needs to go around in a lot of places. You just have to look at that Texas Tech game in the tournament where against the number one defense in the country, 22 points, 7 of 12 shooting, you know, I thought he was all over the court. He really lifted them to victory. I love this kid. I love the fit in Houston. I don't know what they're going to do defensively with him and Sangoon and, and Green because those are three kind of minus defenders at the stages of their career. But I think you figure that out later. Like you can you can put him next to a rim protector and protect him a little bit. Um, I love Paolo. You know, Mo, you just mentioned it's either going to be him or Ivy as sort of rookie of the year favorites. I'm taking him to the bank. <laughs> I think I'm right there with you, man. I I had a crush on him the minute he joined Duke and actually caught his first game as a Blue Duke Blue uh, as a Duke Blue Devil uh, in MSG last year. And man, this guy just has all the offensive skill sets to succeed. He's like that prototypical old school four that can you know make moves make moves in the post hit the jumper. I mean, he probably takes too many jumpers out there, but he's just he has all the right skill sets on the offensive end. On the defensive end, I think you're absolutely right there too. He is he disappears like and he will get killed uh when it comes to switching. But when it comes to offense, like I can see this guy coming out averaging 17, 18 points a game right off the bat for Houston. Him and Jalen Green, they're gonna be putting up 115, 120 points a game, giving up 135, 140 on the Love on it. the defensive end. I that's that's my prediction. I don't think there's any doubt that he's gonna be good. I think he's one of the players, like you guys already talked about, right away, rookie of the year possibility. He's got all the tools. The question you have to ask if you're drafting Paulo at one, two, three, is can he be your number one guy? Can you build a team around him? And that's where I just find it hard when these guys don't play deep. When big men don't play defense in this day and age, let's look at Carl Anthony Towns, who... Look, if Paolo had Carl Anthony Towns' career, that's a success. So I'm not trying to say that. But Carl Anthony Towns was good defensively in college, elite across all aspects of offense. But then you can see the team gets severely limited when you're relying on him as the number one guy. And a lot of those offensive tools that he has, when you're giving up a lot of equally number of points on the defensive end, limits your ceiling as a team. So I think the question with Paolo is, he's going to be great, but is he a guy you can build around Chet, you can see a version of that jabari i don't think you can either right so in, in that sense he's still a top three guy but i don't see him as the best prospect in this draft just because i have a hard time seeing unless he makes those leaps defensively him being that true number one guy who can lead your team deep into the playoffs and that, that is, I mean, that's like a, a high standard right so i'm not saying that this guy's gonna bust or anything but I can argue that some of these other guys have a higher ceiling just because of that. I think it's a good point. And I was just thinking like KOC in his draft guide has one of his comps as Julius Randle, right? Which is the way we're talking about it is kind of like what Julius Randle looked like last year where he was pretty dominant offensively, tenacious rebounder, uneven shooter, and kind of not a good defender, right? They won because they had a good scheme around him, Tibbs, et cetera. But then you saw the bad version of Julius this year where it's like the shot stopped going in and you still didn't get much effort on D. I think what's really going to dictate his long-term success is if he can make a transition like Chris Bosch did, where he became a better outside shooter, he became a better help defender and rim protector in those, you know, Heedles days, 
and he learned to play without the basketball because that's ultimately what's going to turn him into a forward version of Jalen Green to someone you can actually build a championship defense around. And I think he's got a lot to work with. There are some questions, like you said, for sure, Karthik. And I think that's why he's kind of fallen to three and pretty much been been consistently predicted to to be the third pick by the Rockets. So let me ask you guys this. How many all NBA teams will these top three picks have in the next 10 years? You want to give if I put the over, if I put the over under at four and a half, what do you go with? I go under. (laughs) I mean, I go under, it has to be under. And while you, while I'm thinking, let me just look, what's a good year to check. So basically like 2011, right. Or 2012 draft yeah would be 10 years ago 2012 that's the, no. you know, 2013 is a historically bad dip draft so 2012 probably be a good one to look at no right, 2012 so, is dame dame yeah, already- dame was so yeah. he was technically the sixth pick oh okay but here's a good example it had anthony davis in it and he got he made it four times bradley beal made it once as the third pick and so that was five yeah so yeah, that's a heavy under on. You're pretty much bet because I think once one guy makes it, there's a strong chance he'll make multiple. Just because if you're that good, it's not going to be an anomaly. Well, I think one thing is that it's basically it's almost like we have three players playing the same three position, the same position as well too. So it's that's almost to the point that like only one of them might succeed here. And do you are you going to bet that that person's going to make? four to five all NBA teams. I think it's, I think possibly, but if I had to put a gun to my head, I think all three of these guys will end up at best number two on teams and maybe, maybe one or two all NBA teams from, I think, I think a guy like Chet just blowing up and being, being that kind of unicorn that he's destined to be Jabari. I don't know if I ever see a all NBA team from and Paulo, I guess, yeah, maybe a third team appearance for his highly offensive skills and a little bit of defense if he learns it. Maybe a three-point shooting title, and that's it. (laughs) I'm looking through historical drafts, and four and a half is not common. Let's put it that way. I think only the 2012 draft really got there, and that's because Anthony Davis had four himself. Wow. Even, Even 2014... Embiid has four, but Wiggins and Parker don't have any. And this isn't heralded as an amazing draft class either. So, 2011, Kyrie has two, Enos Cantor and Derek Williams have zero. <laughs> wow. But what a top. All right, let's get to the mock draft. So, I guess here's the question in terms of who's picking first, I think it should be one of you two because that would also give you the Kings pick. Um, well, that would also get the Wizards pick also. But since it's Karthik, okay. since it's your guys' pod, Karthik, I'm going to bless you with the first pick. Uh, Nithin, you can go number two, and I'll take number three. All right, that sounds good. All right. So- and so here's the deal. We're drafting for the team what we think they should do. It's not just necessarily what your big board, I guess, says, right? There's yes, some so. other factors that you're considering as well, I would I would think. But so that's, that's the way it's – so it's not what we predict. It's what we think should happen. Yep. This one's an easy one. If I'm uh, the Kings, Adam Silver. No, what are you starting at the fourth pick? <laughs> we're starting you at the fourth. No, you start-, start with the start of the draft. Oh, magic. starting the first. <laughs> all right, who I think should go first? I'm picking Chet. I'm saying go all in on Chet. I made the case. 
If you're the Magic, swing for the fences. What are you going to do with this team with Jabari Smith? What he's like, KOC called him a jumbo size Richard, no, two way Richard Lewis. Like, if you're the Magic, are you trying to recreate just Richard Lewis for this this team? Like, that's not good enough. Go for Chet. Go for the unicorn. I have no reason to think that they shouldn't pick Chet as number one, but I know they won't. No, no issues from me. I, I, I think Chet can play next to Wendell. He can do every. He can play with Franz. Like I think it would be a great pick for them. Um. All right. With number two, after my passion plea for Paolo, I have to take him. Uh, the Thunder select Banquero. Gives them a scoring punch next to a lot of combo guards who don't necessarily project as the number one scoring option on that team between SGA, Dort, Giddy, Pokachevsky, Theo Maldon. We got a squad coming. <laughs> oh, man. At, at number three, if you're Houston, you're definitely excited to have Jabari Parker just sitting there. Not Jabari Parker, sorry. Jabari <laughs> Smith yeah, yeah. just sitting there for the swooping. Uh, the perfect swing forward to sit next to Sagoon, uh, start to grow with Jalen Green. This is a no-brainer pick on, on my end, and I, I'm actually shocked that you guys actually shuffled this draft up because I thought the consensus three was going to be Jabari, Chet, and Paola. So uh, I guess it's good that we did mock one through three jabari parker might be resubmitting his name into this draft too (laughs) all right now it's where it gets interesting because we've talked about the top three for a while now at number four i'm sacramento i'm not even wasting any time sending this in to to adam silver i don't even want adam silver to walk back after the third pick i want him to just stay at the podium and pick jade and ivy he we haven't talked much Shade and Ivy, but he's got the highest ceiling at four. And I think, like Mo said, this is a four-person draft. To me, it's more three plus a small tier in the middle with Jade and Ivy. And then there's a drop-off again to the next tier, which is like five through nine, five through ten. The problems with Ivy are significant uh, I, I, because I think he's got no mid-range. He's got questionable shooting. He's got poor defense. So there are a lot of reasons why this guy won't go top three uh, because on paper, while the athleticism intrigues you, while the finishing, while the John Morant comparisons look exciting, I think he does have a lot of flaws. When you're a team like the Kings right now, you need a star. Best chance at a star is Jaden Ivey at this point. And for that reason, it should be a no-brainer to take him at four. So I acknowledge the flaws, but I think no other player in this draft outside of Chet, I think, has a higher ceiling. Mo, what do you think about Ivy? Because to me, I like, again, his star potential. But if you look at his numbers analytically, he is projects as like, it doesn't look pretty. And so it's very confusing between what the highlight tape shows, what the like game tape shows, and what the numbers show. And they're all over the place telling different stories in each in each instance. Yeah. Look, I love Ivy. I don't know why. I just there's just something about him. Now, I agree to your point. Like the analytics don't jump off the board. And you can compare him to Jaw all you want, but Jaw's analytics actually looked great coming out of college, um, mm-hmm. coming out of Murray State. But the thing is, is you know, Ivy's improved freshman to sophomore year. He's a two-year college player. He he made the leap both in three-point field goal percentage, um, even assists were all up 
up the boards on a second year. The guy has a good head on his shoulder too. That's one thing that I always like to factor in. It's the I remember that one year um, Jalen Rose and Bill Simmons interviewed every prospect, and like you know they were obsessed with CJ McCollum that year because the dude was just super smart. Like he came off super smart. You knew right away his IQ was there. Like Jalen Smith, Jalen Ivy. Oh my god, I keep keep messing up names here. Jalen Ivy. Yeah, Jalen Ivy's. Uh, you know, IQ is up there, man. He's actually a solid, solid guard. He can play both off the ball and on the ball. And I, and honestly, he comes from basketball family. His mom actually was an ex coach um, for the Memphis Grizzlies, which is a crazy fact. She's now the head coach uh, of the women's basketball team in Notre Dame. And his father's also a former NFL player. Like the guy comes from a work work ethic family. Knows how to knows how to ball. Like he's gonna come into the league and make an impact right away. And I'm I'm willing to bet my balls off that this guy's gonna be at least the second to third best player in this draft over these top three guys. I love it, especially because that's who the Kings, in theory, could just get if they wanted to take him. But once they trade four to Indiana for six and Duarte, then you guys have to talk <laughs> yourselves into a different prospect. Um, Okay, at number five, I actually think you could argue this is the hardest pick of the draft. Like we said, I think whether you think it's a three plus one, whether you think it's a top four, number five is where it kind of falls off the map as far as predictability, right? We could go any different number of directions. If I'm Detroit, I got a stud in Cade Cunningham. I don't really have a definitive second piece. Like you have Sadiq Bay, you have Killian Hayes, Isaiah Stewart. None of those guys matter to me. Like in five years, they may all not even be on the team. I need more top end talent. I have to swing for the fences because I'm not trying to be good next year. I'm going shade and sharp. Wow. Um, literally no clue what this dude will bring aside from what I'm told. I think the theory of him, what he's allegedly supposed to be is the perfect fit next to Cade. Cade can play either on ball or off ball. He's a great passer. He's a great, you know, cutter. He's just everything you want to be as a star with Sharp. He can be the 25 points per game scorer eventually, maybe one day in this league. He can be the 40% from deep, you know, on high volume attacking the basket. I think Sharp's red flags of not playing to me are actually pretty big because you don't see this very frequently in the NBA. You see it in the NFL sometimes. You know, for example, Jamar Chase sat out all of 2020 and it didn't matter. He just still balled out like crazy with the Bengals. Um, doesn't happen in basketball. This is kind of one of a kind situation, but I'm going to roll the dice because if I'm the Pistons, I, I still need more star level talent. I like that fifth pick. I, I think Sharp's the guy at number five, even though there's not much uh, film on him. You got to swing for the fences. And when you got a guy like Cade, Detroit's probably going to sit there in the tank zone again for one more year and might as well, you know, swing for the fences with a guy like Sharp. And then, by the way, you sign and trade Isaiah Stewart, Jeremy Grant, and a future first for DeAndre Ayton. Ooh. That's I a good answer. And then Actually, 36 I... and 46 is on its way next. Oh. <laughs> awesome. With the sixth pick, uh, I think this is pretty easy uh, for for being being the Pacers. Uh, drafting Keegan Murray out of Iowa. I know Kings fans would be uh, kind of excited if we – not excited. that They would be sad if we drafted him. But um, he's a great two-way player. Like – Look, Keegan Murray has all the skill sets. He actually fits pretty great next to Miles Turner. He'd kind of take over that, you know, old Sabonis role, role for Indy being the four. Um, great two-way player, 22 years old, kind of fits the timeline with Tyrese Halliburton, 
um, and you know can really you know, motor motor up the up the court both ways. And I think he's a solid pick. Would I draft him high? No, but at six, I think it's a safe pick for the Pacers um, in the zone of uh, of doing that rebuild now that they're they're past this Sabonis and and Miles Turner and, and Brogdon days. All right, yeah, Keegan Murray makes a lot of sense there. He he just seems like a Pacers player, right? He's just like I don't know what it is about him, but it, it's just kind of nothing exciting. Just bring your your lunch pail to work, kind of kind of guy. Um, but at seven is where it gets interesting because now I've, I'm Portland, and a lot before of before you get to seven. Before you get to seven, let me ask you because the the Kings have been rumored to be flirting with with Keegan Murray, and I think you'd both not be thrilled, and that's putting it lightly if you took him at four, but. Do you think he's going to, whether it's six or four, if the guy's good, he's good. If he's bad, it doesn't, it's not going to matter, right? Like, it doesn't matter what pick he goes. What do you think is going to keep him from succeeding? Because I'm hearing a lot about how good he is in transition and all these kinds of things. At the same time, I'm hearing, like, he's a guy that benefited from the college game, benefited from his kind of advanced physical state versus younger kids, whereas the NBA, that's all going to go away. So do you like him as a prospect, regardless of the pick itself? I Look... Go watch, go watch a 15-minute highlight clip of, of um, Keegan Murray. And tell me, just take, just note every play you watch, can this, can he do this in the NBA? Can you see him doing this in the NBA? 80 to 85% of what you see in that highlight tape, you'd question whether he can replicate that in the NBA. Posting up lower guys, using his size and athleticism to kind of put these put-back shots in. Yes, in transition, but he's still kind of slow like in transition he looks much faster against college speed i don't see him succeeding like that in the nba game and so my biggest concern with him he's a tweener a lot of the offensive kind of game that he's shown is from a position of strength as a oversized four you're not going to get that in the nba and or oversized three you know like I don't see a lot of it translating. That's my biggest worry. And so to me, he's like a Boris Diaw, like skilled, <laughs> great, long career. But what are you, you drafting Boris Diaw with the, the fourth pick if you're the Kings? I'd, I'd be pissed, but I actually think it might happen. But Mo, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it goes back to that old NBA thing I said earlier. Like this guy is like, this guy looks great, like good fit, high motor, two-way player. Is this guy ever going to make an old NBA team? <laughs> Absolutely not. Like at, you know, at six, seven, good pick. You know, you're getting a solid, you know, older player. Look, all the stuff on him sounds great too. He kind of has a chip on his shoulder. He was a late bloomer. You know, Note was not recruited in college. Iowa, he had to go an extra year after high school to a prep school. And then Iowa was the only offer that he got. Um, so, you know, all that stuff's great. And I think he has a great like head on his shoulder. But like, I don't think this guy's going to wow. Like, I don't think this guy is going to make an old NBA team. I don't think he's going to make an all-star team, probably. He's going to be, but will he have a lasting career? Yeah, probably make it 10 years. To me, looking back on King's picks, like, this is exactly like a Jason Thompson all over again. <laughs> you're just taking a safe pick. Deep, and, deep, deep pull there, Jason Thompson. Yeah, and you're going to just sit there up for eight years being like, wow, what has this guy done for our franchise? All right, Karthik, you're up at number seven with the Blazers. So this isn't who's seven on my board, but I'm going to go with a player who I think would help the Blazers the most, right? They're looking for 
win now. They're trying to surround Dame with the right talent. So if they're going to make this pick, I'm going Benedict Matherin. Uh, now, Matherin can shoot. He's athletic. He can defend. He's a little erratic. His handle is spotty. He has lapses defensively. A lot of challenges. But I think in terms of ceiling, out of the next, whatever, 10, 15 picks, this guy has the highest ceiling for sure. Uh, and Benedict Matherin, slot nicely in the two guard, replace CJ McCollum's production ideally. You know, maybe not immediately, but that's the, the idea. I think he's the best choice here, given the other prospects and the question marks they have. They're getting immediate production and relatively high ceiling. Matherin was was the classic uh, tournament darling who put together a lot of fun games on national TV, and nobody watches Pac-12 basketball. Just excuse me, I've watched a lot of um, Matherin, a lot of Pac-12 basketball. Yeah, you and like your your boys uh, out of UCLA have, but everyone else is just like passed out at the time that Arizona normally plays. So getting a chance to watch him in the tournament, everyone was like, "Oh my god, this guy is jumping off the screen!" Right, like he's clearly the best player. But then he, you know, he was inconsistent. He struggled the very next game when Arizona got dumped out of the tournament, but. I think with Matherin, he's gonna. I was begging uh, for the Wizards to, to take him at ten during the tournament, and now it looks like he's gonna be gone for sure. Uh, top seven, top eight, makes a lot of sense. One thing I'll say about Portland is they gutted their roster last year, um, trading pretty much everyone. And you look at it now, and it's like, did they get anyone back in those trades, or was like, were, like their team is so far away from being anything? It's Amazing to me that them and Dame have still doing this song and dance around staying in staying in town. Like his next five years, which are going to be the last five productive years of his career, are going to be a total wasteland if he stays for that place for that team. It's a disaster. Like he's looking at Josh Hart and Anthony Simons as his two and three, and now Ben Matherin. I like the Matherin pick. I think he's a high flyer. He's going to be, I think he's going to be a pretty awesome NBA player. Um, but yeah, to that point, like for the Blazers, man, it, it just feels like you're going into the rebuild mode. Like, I don't think Matherin's going to contribute right away. Um, I think he's a few years. He's he's only 20 right now. He's a few years and he, he's a few years from actually hitting probably his strides and his potential. Like, Dame's t- Dame doesn't have much time left. Uh, we already, you already back channeled, uh, you know, 2012, he's 10 years in the NBA now. Um, yeah. uh, he's getting up there in age when he came out at 23 too. So I don't know. Uh, this sounds like a rebuild if you're taking a guy like Matherin. So I, I'm sure the, I'm sure if Matherin's there at seven, you know, they could be shopping this pick heavy for, for veterans. Well, I, I think it's just the combination. Like, I don't think any player at this point of the draft is going to contribute immediately. Right. Right. And so at this point, you take the combination of someone who has skills that translate directly, which he's got shooting and athleticism, with the potential for being a star a year or two down the road. Um, but yeah, to your point, they are in a weird position because they're not in win. Their roster doesn't look win now. Um, so doesn't I don't look know. Win I now, think they should look win later. Point. There's no winning anytime with yeah. this roster. Yeah. I think this is the pick most likely on the move uh, outside of maybe Sacramento. Um, And I don't think Sacramento would trade out of the draft entirely. I think they would move down. I think Portland would actually move this pick altogether. They've been really on the hunt for OG and Anobi from Toronto. Um, We'll see if that, that gets done, but it's so short-sighted, man. Like Dame's gone, like just accept it. It's over. Um, Okay. Number eight, 
I think this is the first pick of the draft where a team is actually going to draft more for need and fit than just best player available because Pelicans, you know, made the playoffs, gave the Suns a good series, getting Zion back. There's a lot to like about this team moving forward. I think I'm going to go Dyson Daniels, uh, G League Ignite Australia. I think one more ball handler, especially one with size, is really going to be important. You saw some of those um, – once Mikael Bridges got stuck to CJ McCollum, it was over for him. You know, he just couldn't get out of that like web. Um, Brandon Ingram struggles sometimes in that those same matchups, especially with Phoenix's wing length. And so you think you had one more playmaker on the outside, another guy to get Zion the ball. Weirdly enough, think about this comp or this prototype coming out of Australia. You had Joe Ingles, Ben Simmons, Dante Exum, Josh Giddy. Now, Dyson Daniels, all of these big six, seven, six, eight or taller, just like playmaking power point forward kind of types. Um, this is the next one in the lineage. I think fits a good it's a good fit for him. He doesn't have to come along immediately. He can definitely take his time uh, on a pretty veteran laden group. He's also bigger. Like they measured him at the combine. He was much he grew. He's even bigger than what six six he's listed at, I think. Yeah. And so He's I think that's the shooting, though. That's the problem. The shooting's a problem, but you know, like I think at this point in the draft, it's it's a big flaw, sure, the shooting. But he's such a smart player; can plug and play everywhere. It's worth taking a flyer on him for sure. So I like that pick. The one thing I can't take my eyes off with this guy is the twenty five percent from three point range. <laughs> but with that said, I have heard that. He's been shooting lights out in his like private workouts, so who knows? Maybe he's just a he's a you know empty arena guy that needs to to, to be able to shoot. Yeah. With the All with right. the ninth pick, uh, San Antonio Spurs. Uh, look, I think they can go either way. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna take a guy that I actually thought was a top six prospect, maybe even top seven prospect. Watched a lot of Paulo, so I caught him in a lot of his game clips. AJ Griffin out of Duke. Um, this guy is the prototypical three and D a type of player pop is going to fall in love with. Um, you know, he can kind of, he can, he can knock down the corner threes shot 48% from three point has the body was a top rated high school prospect. The biggest knocks on the guy right now, and he's been sliding in mock drafts. So this could, these knocks could be a lot bigger than, than we seem is, is the knee and ankle injuries he had in high school. I think he missed both his junior and senior year of high school. Um, very limited game action in Duke. He did miss a few games as well too, but a few games, he looked really great and carried that offense. I, I think there was at least, a, he had at least three to four games straight where he shot 20 plus. And I think it's a, it's a wor- worthwhile uh, risk for the Spurs. Like I'm, they got a great medical staff. They can an- analyze this guy. You get this guy with pop, you get this guy, you know, a, a shooting coach to keep his jumper going. Like he has potential to be kind of that next Danny green for this, for this Spurs era. Yeah. I think that to me, the, the knee injuries really worry me He's an 18 year old kid who's already missed two seasons in high school because of those. Um, but like you said, maybe that means it's damaged goods you can get for, for cheaper. I think with San Antonio, it's just, they got a glut of wings uh Keldon Johnson, Lonnie Walker, Devin Vassell, Josh Primo. You add one more to the bunch, figure out who's who's good and who's not and get rid of the rest. So I think, I think that's that- a good spot for him because even if he is just standing and shooting threes, like DeJounte can get every everyone looks. 
I like it. I like the pick. I wanted to, to take do? him for what Washington. What do you have to do right now? That's the no, real question. Nitin, no, I don't know how. I don't know how you're going to feel about this. But if yeah. I'm Washington, well, first of all, the question is: Are they keeping Beal or not? Let's assume yes. All signs point to yes. All signs point to yes. So I'm going to take Jeremy Sohan from Baylor <laughs> because here's the thing: at this point of the draft, you've got guys like Johnny Davis. But I think Johnny Davis is redundant with Beal at this point if you're trying to win with this roster. Jalen Duran, I'm not sold on. I think this Washington, the way they're built, still very skewed offensively. A lot of offensive time the last couple of years. Rui, Denny. I think they need some defense. They need some toughness. They, they need a guy who can defend kind of all positions. Granted, raw, very raw offensive game, but a smart player, great playmaking, can slot into any lineup and gives them a lot of lineup flexibility. Like you talk about Beal, Kuzma, Sohan, Denny, Rui. Like now you're you're assembling a roster with a lot of different wings um, that can play offense, that can play defense. I think that is the kind of mold that Washington should start to build towards. So I think uh, he's a good pick for them at ten, given that AJ Griffin, my first pick that I wanted for them, is off the board. But Nathan, like, you tell me. As a Wizards fan, you tell no, me. No, I like Sochan. So, Sochan or Sohan? I think he says Sohan. He pronounces Sohan. It okay. Sohan. I like Sohan. I think he sounds like one of the few one to five defenders in this league, in this draft. So it's definitely, like you said, adding a much needed skill set to this team. The thing I worry about is we have no sort of wing scoring and shooting. And Johnny Davis was a guy I had my eye on just because even though he flamed out towards the end of this Wisconsin season, I thought I got a little, this is going to sound crazy, but I'm getting a little Devin Booker vibes from him where the shot percentages don't look good. Like coming out of Kansas, Devin Booker had the prettiest jumper in the league, sorry, Kentucky prettiest jumper in the league. Even his first few years in the NBA, he didn't really shoot the ball well from three, but he had the shot making ability. And I'm wondering if Davis can replicate some of that. I think Soyan reminds me almost like a Jonathan Isaac kind of like, if Isaac's offense comes along, he could be a really good player in the league. At the very minimum, he's a great defender. I mean, if he, you know, was actually in the game and not on Fox News. But nonetheless, like I think with so- Sohan, he projects as someone who can offer that. I just really get nervous about one-way players. Like you see it, even Matisse Tybel, as good as he was defensively, he was getting played off the court in the playoffs. Will that happen to Sohan, or can he develop some version of an outside shot that keeps him on the floor? So that's my big question with him. But again, at number 10, you're not exactly like picking from like, you know, the the, the best toys in the box, so to speak. I don't think and, and I just want to make it known right now, I'm a big Johnny Davis guy. I think he's gonna be good. I'm putting my stake down right now. I would have picked him. You actually made good points for why they might need Johnny Davis. To me, he just seemed redundant with a lot of what Beal's doing and if you want someone to plug into that lineup, he's not the guy. But I think he's going to be really good. Like what he showed at Wisconsin, like this guy, that team, that Wisconsin team, man, the amount of times that the defense doubled, like sent all the attention towards him. And he was still able to make plays, uh, generate offense consistently. And he's not a great defender, but he hustles on that end of the floor. I think you can mold him into a good defender. And so to mm-hmm. me, at, at the 10th spot, like Johnny Davis, I think is, is awesome. So 
Yeah. I, I would feel comfortable taking him if I was a Liz. Well, New York at number 11. Grabbing the third Duke player here. I'm going Mark Williams, um, who's a very prototypical rim-running center, shot blocker on the other end. You know, Mitchell Robinson's up for an extension. I just don't think it's smart money to pay him a lot right now, especially when you have so much tied up in all these other players who are sort of middling. Um, I think you have an opportunity to plug and play a different a rookie in that spot who's going to not give you too much less than what Robinson was giving you. You still have Nerlens Noel there. I just like Mark Williams' athleticism. I like the pick-and-roll pairing he can have. I mean, New York desperately needs a point guard, so they need to find that elsewhere. I don't think that player exists right now at this stage of the draft. Maybe you go Ty Ty Washington. It still feels a little high for him. Um, so I think you figure that out in free agency. Grab a center. It's between him and Jalen Dern for me. I didn't love what I watched from Dern with Memphis. Memphis was kind of a wreck in all year for a lot of reasons. He was actually probably their most consistent player, but – I like Mark Williams at Duke. I think he's going to have a better NBA career when he has a little bit more space to operate. I like the pick. I actually think Mark Williams is is a little underrated in this draft. I think he's definitely better than Jalen Duran, who's def, who's been on high, who's been higher on a lot of mock drafts. Um, I, again, watch too much Duke basketball, and I think there's some good upside to him. At number 12, we got OKC, and normally I would take like a risky pick. I, I would maybe swing for the fences here, but given that we took Paolo in the first round, I think that was Nithin, uh, let's go with Johnny Davis then um, and, and, and enroll with the two guard that's, or sorry, with the, with the point guard that's a little bit on the safer side. Um, like, look, I heard a hot take on Kevin O'Connor and, and Vernon's podcast this morning from Verna that said Johnny Davis has potential to be the best player in this draft. Um, I wow. didn't, I don't think so. I thought this guy was vastly uh, overrated. I think he is a great defender. Um, I just don't think he has, I don't think he, he wows and at anything um, for me. And I don't, I don't really see his fit long-term in the NBA, but Look, there's some potential possibly, um, and at the 12th pick, you know, you're you're just grabbing at things, and I think this guy can potentially back up SGA, um, get some minutes uh, behind Giddy, and 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 you know contribute right away to OKC. Uh, that's actually really surprising that he he said best player. I didn't, I didn't hear that. Wow, it, it was I mean, uh, it was Verno said something. He's like, "What are you? Would you be shocked if Johnny Davis is the best player from the draft?" And I don't think KOC responded. Um, but it's, yeah, it's one of those, I don't, I don't know. Uh, these guys get all big on, um, you know, big 10 basketball, but I didn't, I wasn't really, I wasn't really, uh, I wasn't really sold on what I saw from Johnny Davis clips. All right. Well, now I'm rounding out the lottery, right? This is pick 13. I got one more after that. 14 in Cleveland. 14. All right. So Charlotte. No, actually 15 is technically the. Yeah, 14 is a lottery, but we got to end on the 15 number. I'll give you. My I don't sleeper. really know any more players, so I can't keep going that much longer. I'll give you my sleeper of the draft. Mine, <laughs> I may take them right here. I don't know. If I'm the Charlotte Hornets, I'm going Jalen Williams. Oh, oh you did. Santa Clara. <laughs> now, this is a guy who great offensive game, can score from anywhere. He was 44% catch and shoot threes. He can cut. He can do everything on offense. And guess what? This is a team that's going to be run by Mike D'Antoni after Kenny Atkinson bolted from that job or left them hanging. And you got LaMelo. You got a, a slew of off, good offensive players. You're going to play a high pace offensive scheme under D'Antoni. 
Jalen Williams slots in nicely. Um, and he's a, he's a little bit older, right? He's a junior, but he can contribute right away on the offensive end and I think be a really good wing for that Hornets team. And so this might be a little high. I don't know where he's actually projected these days, but he's been rising up boards. I think he might have had a good, you know, workouts or maybe at the combine teams are getting a little bit higher on him. So I think this is actually a good spot to take him. So I'm going Jalen Williams. So that was my sleeper pick. And like you said, he's actually been shooting up the boards. Uh, Great workouts. A lot of great things been said about this guy. A little bit older, 21, but like two-way player, great attitude. People are saying he has a he actually has a lottery pick uh, guarantee from someone. I don't know who, but there are rumors that he should be going in the lottery. So I'm glad you took him somewhere. All right. Well, to round out the lottery with Cleveland, um, I'm going Ochai Agbaji, the senior <laughs> from Kansas. Um, been told uh, recently in the last 60 seconds via text that this could be a good fit for him here. Um, but in all seriousness, I think Cleveland's an interesting team where they're kind of a young veteran team, right? They're young with Garland, Mobley, Allen. They still – and Okoro. Uh, Okoro sucks, by the way, so I don't even know if he should be counting as part of the core. But then they have K-Love. They have Markinen. They have some – you know, last year they went through the, the, the play-in and really should have made the playoffs and probably would have if Allen never got hurt. What they desperately need on the wing is a little bit more scoring pop so it doesn't all have to come from Garland. I think – uh, this kid can do that. He's 41% from three last year. He's a senior, so he's a vet. He's probably can come in and, you know, give them actual minutes year one, which is at this stage of the lottery, pretty unlikely last year, for example, though, number 14 was, uh, you know, 13 was Chris Duarte. 14 was Moses Moody. 15 was Corey Kispert. All three did play for their teams because they did fit this kind of role of being like a three and D kind of wing. I think he would do the same for Cleveland, who, by the way, should should be expecting, uh, you know, an actual playoff berth this year, not just flirting with the play-in. I like it. I like how uh, you you panicked at the last second. You're like, who can I get at 14? Pronunciation related. Um, I was thinking I was thinking Tari Eason also from LSU was the other guy I was considering. Eason's also good. He's been getting a lot of hype as well. Uh, my favorite thing about uh, Agbahi, or how you pronounce it, on KOC's draft ringer draft guide, shades of Jay Crowder. That's all. That's His player comp is only Jay Crowder. <laughs> all these other guys, even as you go down the list, they've got more higher ceiling guys than Jay Crowder. This guy, that, that's his comp, which is Jay Crowder. What more do you need? That's exactly who Cleveland should should add to their roster, is another Jay Crowder. <laughs> Is that it? Right. Are we done with the lottery at this point? Done with right? the lottery, and we doubled up and got uh, Mo's um, sleeper too. So we're just being efficient here in the the late hours of of the night. No trades happened during the pod too, which is disappointing. Oh, I was t- I was told I'm not allowed to make trades. My guess, like, look, it's no, been sorry, quiet... I meant real trades, real <laughs> trades. Oh, real trades. Yeah, it's yeah. been a quiet uh, couple days. I know there's been there's there hasn't been any trades. I don't think I think we won't get any until Thursday, but I'm predicting at least three trades in the lottery. That's my prediction. Yeah, I think so. I think that would be well. We already know. I mean, Hayward, right? That could create some moves. We know Portland's looking. We know the Kings are looking. The Wizards, Knicks have been rumored to be moving. So 
Everybody's getting active. Some people think it's going to be a quiet draft night. I'm with you. I think it's going to be pretty explosive. I think OKC will move up. I think there's rumblings. Memphis is trying to get up there too. I don't know if they have an eye on someone, but they're, you know, they, their track record on drafting right now has been pretty phenomenal. Um, and then like I said, and then also the Hornets uh, sitting at 13 and 15 who wants two rookies on that team with that, with no coach right now. So who knows what's going to happen, but yeah, let's, let's hope for a, a, a fantastic draft day with lots of trades. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We'll make sure that it's not 18 months before the next, uh, you know, three man weave here for Karthik and I, uh, please rate review and subscribe to thick and thin hoops. Please follow us on social media. Enjoy the draft. Enjoy free agency. I guess we'll be back before free agency actually kicks off with the draft recap and and kind of figuring out all where all the pieces have landed. But cannot wait for the next two weeks. This is like we said, the most fun part of our seasons. Um, not not uh, the Warriors fan seasons, I'm sure, but you know, for everyone else, this is our Super Bowl. So enjoy it, and we will talk to you next week. 